morning, everyone. It's sure good to, to be with you this morning. I, I just want to say that um, the last two times I've preached, one was at Pastor Aaron's house in front of a screen, and then last time back a few months ago, I was just looking at a camera, nobody in the room. It was very, very weird. So this is a blessing for me to have the opportunity to be with all of you this morning, to have uh, my body, our body, the church body in front of me as, as I give the word this morning. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity. I also wanted to share that actually today is the three-year anniversary of when we moved here to Illinois. I saw that on the picture of Facebook this morning. I just am so thankful for what the Lord has done um, with our family um, and also just the opportunity to be a part of Eureka Bible Church for the last three years. has just been such a blessing. So I want to thank each and every one of you uh, for the part that you played in, in helping our family feel welcome and part of this church family the last three years. I also wanted to share that my, uh, my parents are here this morning. Um, it's really glad, I'm just really glad to have my parents here um, and to the special time that I can have that I can preach while they're here um, as well. And if you would just uh, be praying for us as we're traveling to South Carolina today after the service, and so just pray uh, that we'll have some restful time of vacation and just to enjoy some family time. But I must say that um, what the topic we're going to be talking about this morning, the Ministry of Reconciliation, is something that both of my parents have put in front of my brother and I for our entire life growing up, and I'm very thankful for the fact that we had that Ministry of Reconciliation. So thank you, Mom and Dad, for both for that, for the, that growing up. So would you go with the Lord in prayer with me as we begin, uh, go to the Word? Lord, I just, uh, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I, I thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, to worship together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, this has just been a weird year. Um, there's been a lot of struggles, frustrations, um, not being able to meet together as a church for quite a lengthy amount of time. And, but Lord, I'm thankful that we are back together now. Whether we, are, we stay this way for a while or not, Lord, I still am wanting to count the blessings that we have the opportunity to freely come here and to worship you today. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to set aside any distractions we might have, uh, Lord, anything that would distract us from being able to, to hear your word, to hear what you desire for us to hear. Lord, this is a, a passage that has been read a lot. It's a passage that many people that are believers have, have probably studied and um, meditated on. But Lord, I pray that you will give us the ability to know what it is that you directly want us to know today that will help us to, to grow in our relationship with you to, to share our faith with others. Lord, help this passage to, to, to speak to our hearts. And Lord, I just pray that you will continue to be with our church and the different things that are going on. And Lord, I, 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 wanna, I just want to lift up, I just really felt led, led to lift up um, all the families with, with all the decisions being made by the, with the schools. Lord, that our families will be able to make strong decisions on what's best for their kids. And also that our administrations and others, people in our schools will be able to uh, just know the best decisions to make going forward as things change all the time. And Lord, it, it's a hard job, and I just pray for our administrations of our schools and the families represented here that they will be able to make good decisions, and Lord, they will be able to get through this coming school year, even though it may look a lot different. Lord, again, I pray that you'll be with us. Allow me to step aside and let your word to go forward this morning. We pray this in your great and gracious name, Jesus. Amen. Often we hear the word reconciliation. We hear that word in lots of different ways. Maybe in the past you've heard that word about maybe like when you're talking about exchanging or talking about money, we think about the idea of reconciling the books or talking about reconciliation in the way of money. 
Uh, sometimes we might hear of the idea of reconciliation with marriage, where people are trying to reconcile their differences and the things that are happening. So sometimes we use the term that they couldn't, that they had in, they they could not reconcile their differences, right? So that we hear that word reconciliation, and honestly, we've heard it a lot recently with the racial stuff that's going on in our country. We hear that word racial reconciliation, and it's that that idea of trying to reconcile to bring things together. And so this morning. Um, we often hear that word, but we don't hear it in the way that we're going to be discussing it as much today, which is the ultimate idea of what reconciliation, the only reconciliation that we can find that is truly going to be eternal, that's truly going to last, is the idea of the biblical reconciliation, peace with God. Often when we hear the word reconciliation, we think that a lot of times that some group of people would have to submit in order for this to come together. You know, you have to give and take, you have to... Um, try to work things out. But the central focus of today's passage with the ministry of reconciliation is that we all, every single one of us, must must submit to the Lordship of Christ if we want to see true reconciliation. We must submit to the Lord. Because what we have seen in 2 Corinthians already is that Paul has people that don't like him. And that's, that's typical, right? We all do. Um, especially me growing up in ministry with my dad and myself, um, in ministry, you have people that you're going to have problems with. You have different personalities. You think about things differently. You have different beliefs, and it causes friction. It causes division. But one of the central focuses of this passage and of all of Second Corinthians is that Paul is defending his ministry, defending what he is doing. And so what we're going to see this morning is that there's this connection between this passage and all of what Paul's been talking about already. In chapter 3, uh, that Pastor Aaron did. I think he preached that one when we were outside. He was talking about the idea of the minister of the new, the minister of the new creation, and so that kind of parallels today because he's talking about being the minister of reconciliation. And the two chapters ago, he was talking about being doing the ministry of the new creation, which are very parallel, very connected. He also talked about in chapter four about the idea that we need to die to ourselves, and we're going to see that in the passage this morning too. And so you see. As it should be, Paul is writing these things through the Holy Spirit, and they're connecting to one another, and we're going to see how that works together. And so he's facing his detractors today. He, need, he needs to set the record straight that his ministry that he is doing is not for himself. It's not for his own glory. It's not to, to try to pump himself up. This morning, we're looking at the idea of ministry of reconciliation, which is the ministry of peace through God, not for his own glory, but for the glory of God. And so one of the things that's important to understand this morning is that our motives matter. We can't talk about this idea of ministry of reconciliation without understanding that it starts with what our motives are. Because there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of people that are pastors, that are elders in churches, that are leaders in churches that have the wrong motives about what they're doing. And also, we as Christians often have wrong motives in the way that we're doing things. I think of Paul David Tripp's illustration about marriage. Think of a husband who every year on his anniversary gets flowers for his wife, like the best flowers, the ones that she likes. He brings them home to her, and he says, here's your flowers. And his wife says, thank you very much. These are the best flowers I've ever had. And, and he says to her, well, that's just what I'm supposed to do. It's once a year, right? I'm supposed to give you flowers. That's what I'm supposed to do. How would that wife feel after that? Not very good, right? He's just doing it because that's what he's supposed to do. That's, it, that's, that's the wrong type of motive. I, I think about... How I've met, I've had you know ministry to teenagers for a long time now, and I've I've met a lot of teenagers that um, will say, 
I'm, I, I'll ask them, have you been doing your devotions? And they'll say, well, yeah. And then they, I just exp- they walk through the conversation with them, and I recognize that they're, they're not learning anything, they're not growing, because day after day they're just doing. They have this app, and they just do it, and it's done. They just get it done. That's what you're supposed to do. No, no strong motives there. I also think about, this one might be hit a little harder home for us, is the idea of social media. How often are we trying to win on social media. If we're talking about COVID or racial reconciliation, we got that article, right? We got that quote, we got that video that's going to show us that we are right because our motive is we're trying to win. And that is not the motive. Our motives in, as Christians is, is not to, to win. We are trying to build relationships with others and really try to reconcile and help people to be reconciled to God. And so our motives matter. The work of the Trinity in our lives is about drawing out our affections and changing our hearts to fear Christ, to have the mind of Christ, and to love Jesus. It does matter what we do as Christians. It really does. It really does matter what we do why and why we do it. Our, ma- our motives are what make us distinct as followers of Jesus. It really is. It starts there. So if you'd open up your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are going to start in uh, verse 11 this morning, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, looking at verses 11 through 15 here at the beginning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11, Paul writes, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But we are, is, what, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again by giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For we are beside ourselves. It is for God if we are right in our mind, but if we are right in our mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have, been, we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who did that for the, for the sake died and was raised. And so you see here in the beginning part of this passage that he, he is giving us that, that starting point for us, where we should be with our motives. If we're looking at the idea of ministry of reconciliation, the idea of making peace, helping people to find peace with God, it's the idea of reconciliation. And so there's motives. There's, there's, there's ways, that kind of that foundation, that starting point that we have to have, which is why are we doing this? Because if we don't have that right, none of, else, none of the rest of it's going to go right either. We have to get that foundation right of the idea of reconciliation by our motives. What, why are we doing this? And so firstly there in verse 11 into 12, he talks about the fear of the Lord. Um, this harkens back to um, what he was saying there at the end of, of uh, the last section that Pastor Aaron preached on last week in verse 10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due uh, for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so it's a reminder to us this morning that we must fear the Lord. One of the motives behind why we are doing this ministry of reconciliation as Christians is because of the fear of the Lord. Now, we are not like worshiping other deities, right, where we have to like fear and tremble, like we're really scared that he might smite us at any moment that would be done. But there, there can be a little bit of that, right? We want to have a little bit of a healthy fear of God, but we also want to understand that God loves us and he cares for us and he desires to have a relationship with us. And so this is more of an idea of reverent obedience. 
that we are being obedient because we fear him, because we love him, because of what he's done for us. We're not cowering in fear, uh, but we are staking, and Paul is staking his ministry right here in the actions, in his actions of fearing God. This is why he is doing it, saying there in verse 11, therefore, knowing the, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We are, we are doing this ministry of reconciliation because we fear the Lord. We are not boasting in ourselves. We're not doing this for our own glory. We're, we're doing it for the Lord. Secondly, he mentions there the idea of the mind of Christ. So in those middle verses there, starting in verse 12 into verse 13, we see in the passage that, that Paul is really directing us to understand that um, I, we don't know for sure, but we think that Paul's detractors were probably saying that he may have been a little bit crazy in the head, a little crazy in his mind and the things that he said, the things that he did. And so um, he, he says that I am boasting in my, not in myself and what the Lord is doing, but he also says in verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. For if we are right in, in our mind, it is for you. And so likely he was you know, being called kind of crazy in his head, but Paul's desire for the, the, the foundation of his public ministry was to stake it in truth and concrete truth from God's word and and for what he's teaching and what the Holy Spirit is directing him to say. Because a lot of times now, even so, we see it, that there's a lot of, of ministries and churches that are based off emotion and kind of exotic religious experiences and things like that. But what Paul wants us to understand is that our minds need to be on Christ and the things of him and keep them staking in that foundation of truth. We need to have that mind of Christ. And so instead of looking for emotional experiences or exotic experiences of just grandeur that you see in some larger churches in our country and around the world. He desires for us to stake everything in the mind of Christ and in truth from Scripture, preaching the word, worshiping through song, praying together, reading Scripture together, doing those basic things that keep us in the mind of Christ. And so the first motive was fearing the Lord. The second one was having the mind of Christ. And then lastly, he talks about the love of Jesus. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. I I love that wording, the idea that it controls us. We love to allow other things to control us, right? There's lots of things that can control us, and it it can be lots of different types of emotions. It can be idols. It can be things in our lives that, that control us. But what Paul says is, as a part of the ministry of reconciliation, his love controls us. Because we have concluded this, it says, that once has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so we see there in that passage the greatest symbol of love ever that's ever happened in the history of the world, which is Jesus' death and resurrection. Nowhere else will you find a story or a thing that's ever happened that showed more love that God the Father would send his son down to live on this earth to die on the cross, the horrible death, and to raise on the third day so that we could be saved from our sins so we could have eternal life. That is the greatest love ever shown. And so that's how we are to be as Christians. We are to be motivated by love. We, we definitely want to fear God. We want to have that mind of Christ. But ultimately, as Christians, our greatest motivation should always be love because that's what Jesus' greatest motivation for us was love, his love for us, his care for us. So I just want you to see here very clearly that, that we are seeing 
that we need to have motives that are directed by the scriptures, by what God's word says, that we need to fear God, we need to have the mind of Christ, that foundation of truth, and also that empathy, that grace, that love, that love of Jesus that directs us. Because we cannot have a ministry of reconciliation without the right motives, the right ways, the right reasons why we are doing this. Would you mind putting up that um, on the screen, the quote, please? I want you to just kind of look at this quote real quick. Um, This is a quote from John Piper that I want you to look over. Is it on there on the screen? I could just read it if it's not. So the, um, this is a quote that kind of helps us understand a little bit about our motives. And I'll, I'll just read it out, if, and it comes on the screen. It says, Paul, uh, John Piper says, Why Christians do what they do is just as important as what they do. Bad motives ruin good acts. Again, that last part, bad motives ruin good acts. And so there are so many times, I, I can even think in my own life, where I have done things that I know that maybe they wouldn't be considered good and godly things, but my motives were not correct. I wasn't desiring to love others, to love Jesus, to to fear the Lord, to have that mind of Christ. And so it's important for us to know that we need to think about the reason why we're doing things. And so how much different would it look like in this world for us as Christians if we were to look at things in the lenses of God's glory in our lives. That everything, every choice, every mundane thing we do in our lives would be directed by the glory of God. Imagine if we gave our tithes and offerings because we truly fear the Lord. What if we studied often and clearly communicated our theology and doctrine because we strive to have that mind of Christ? What if we overlook the past mistakes of others and forgive deeply because we have the love of Jesus in our hearts that was shown on the cross. Those are the type of motives we need to have. That is the starting point for the ministry of reconciliation. The gospel reorients our affections, lifestyle, and choices based off love, being shown by us on the cross by Jesus. And so our motives is the starting point for the ministry of reconciliation. Now, we don't have um, Sunday school class right now. Uh, We won't be starting that back until September, uh, or sometime around then, hopefully, Lord willing. Um, But why don't we step into Pastor Tim's Sunday School class this morning for about two minutes as I give you a little lesson on uh, the word reconciliation from the Greek, okay? Let's let's step in there just for a minute. Uh, So the Greek word for reconciliation is the word katalasso, which um, you would see that verb, so it's a verb there, the, that verb form, the katalasso, is in verse 19. It had the idea in the Greek world of exchanging of money or changing from anger and enmity towards a person towards friendship. Um, where would you see that verse? Um, again, in verse 19, what we're getting ready to read, but also in Romans 5.10 that Dusty read earlier, what it says, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Um, so you see that. So that's, that's katalasso, that's the verb form. And then there's the stronger Greek word. Um, a lot of times with Greek, if you put the word apo in front of it, it's the kind of the f- total 100% that this is happening. So the apo katalasso is the stronger meaning of complete reconciling. And you would see that with the Jew and Gentile passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16. You would see that word apo katalasso. And then the last one, which is the main one that we see in today's passage, is the noun form, 
which is katalagi, which is the um, ministry of reconciliation. It has the idea from the Old Testament of atonement. So it kind of connects those two words. The Old, the Old Testament Hebrew word for atonement would be the same, um, very similar to this one. And so we would see that in verse 19 and 20 when he's talking about the ministry and message of reconciliation. And one of the things I wanted to just briefly say is that words do matter to us as Christians. Obviously, we don't all know the Greek, but it's important for us to clearly know what words mean. Because if we don't know what they mean, sometimes it can confuse us. And so words do matter. And this one especially, with today's passage, helps us to understand what Paul's trying to say. So this word of reconciliation is the heartbeat of our faith. It is the central focus of our salvation. Um, and so let's read on here in this passage. If you read on with me, it's starting in verse 16 of Second Corinthians chapter 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we are once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The first thing I want you to notice from this passage in verse 16 Um, he says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. And so thinking back and hearkening back to what Paul was before before God uh, saved him, um, we see that before that he hated Jesus, he was against him. In fact, he was killing Christians. Um, He was part of that ministry doing that with being um, one of the religious leaders of the time. And so he reviewed, or, and I, I kind of reviewed some of the, what Paul was probably trying to say here, and what he was trying to say to us is basically is I saw him as just a fleshly person like you and me. I saw him as just nothing more than somebody deserving of that punishment on the cross. That's, I saw him as deserving that because he was leading people astray, leading them away from the truth, and so he just viewed him as just a, another person of the flesh. And so um, Often that is the same for us too, is how we have, we, the way we live, the way we do things, we don't always give the reverent, obedient trust to the Lord that we should. And so Paul, before he knew Christ, this is what he did. And now he's, um, because he knows Christ, he no longer views him as being in the flesh like that. And so that's what Paul's telling us there. And so what we see in this passage, this is a passage you've probably read before. You've probably heard it. Um, you've probably memorized some of these passages. This is a very famous passage from Scripture Um, But what Paul gives us here is three points of reconciliation content. And so content is is the actual message of ministry of reconciliation that Paul is giving. This is how he's defending it is by saying, this is what I'm teaching. So the first one is the new creation. The redemption of people by Jesus Christ leads to restoration. We're new. we're, We're a different person. We're no longer inside the same person that we used to be. Our lives should be centered and founded on that regeneration of our hearts that was done by Jesus alone. This new creation is nothing done by us. Jesus is the one that saves us. He is the one that changes us. He renews us. So that new creation, that we, now we have new affections. We have new desires for God. 
We have new priorities. We have new passions. We have new direction. We have new ambition for life. We are now made new. We are a new creation. And so that's the first thing that he talks about in his content of, of, of the ministry of reconciliation. Then he, he talks about in, uh, the idea of forgiveness of sins. So if you were to read there in verse, uh, starting in verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So again, the second part is the, the content is forgiveness of sins. We have been saved from our sins through the forgiveness of Jesus and called to a ministry of reconciliation. We have been saved from death to life through Jesus Christ. And so that's part of the new creation is that we have been forgiven. Our sins have been taken away from us. And that's not, obviously we are saved from our sins the one time as we come to know Jesus, but he is continually also forgiving us our sins. So we need to confess our sins very regularly. And then the last part is here in verse 20 and 21 that we see the idea of the atonement and the idea of justification kind of colliding together. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we see here that Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man that came down to earth, took our sin on the cross and became our substitute in God's eyes. So he is atoning for our sins. He is taking our sins away as being our substitute. We deserve to have that punishment, that judgment, but Jesus takes it for us. I really would encourage you sometime to read through some of the the passages in Leviticus that talk about the atonement because it's really helpful for us as Christians in understanding this idea. But one of the things that's so important about this is that we don't just we don't just have our sins taken away and become a blank slate, right? In verse 21, what does it say? For our sake he made sin to be no, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So not only have we had our sins taken away and we've been justified by God through Jesus Christ's blood and death and resurrection, we also become the righteousness of God. Jesus places his righteousness on us. So when God views you and I as Christians, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus' righteousness, not our sin, not our struggles, not our frustrations, not our problems, but the righteousness of Jesus on us. And so it's important for us to see that this morning. We, we need to remind ourselves that we aren't just blank slates when Jesus forgives us. We have his righteousness which also gives us his grace and his power and the ability to live for him because he has given us his righteousness. So this passage gives us strong content of what it means to do the ministry of reconciliation. And one of the things that is going around in our culture right now that really is a problem for me as a Christian, and I've really wrestled and struggled with this, is the idea of the cancel culture. Um, I think we've seen a lot of that going on uh, in recent weeks and months in our, in our country. And one of the things that I really struggle with with the cancel culture is that we are not able to even begin to have this idea of the ministry of reconciliation. Cancel culture just cancels all that opportunity, right? We have no opportunity. There's no room left for hard conversations, for grace, for forgiveness, and the hard work of that reconciliation happens, that can happen through hard work. 
We just want to cancel everything. Get rid of this. Get rid of that. Get rid of that person. Do that. That doesn't work with Scripture. We need to understand this morning that the cancel culture is not biblical. Christianity tells us that we need to do the hard work to reconcile with others because Jesus has reconciled with us through his, his death and resurrection. He's started it. He's given us the opportunity for the greatest way of reconciliation in this entire world, which is through him. And so I just want to say this morning it's important for us to be reminded of the fact that we cannot let the culture dictate the way we live as Christians. And I also want to just point out really quickly that um, one of the things I have found very interesting is when, I, when I've discussed that idea of second, in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where it talks about how Jesus, um, play, we get his righteousness placed on us, is how many people, as I've taught teenagers, how many of my teenagers didn't even know that ha- that happens as Christians? And what it reminded me of is the importance that we have as, as parents, as youth leaders, as children's ministry leaders, to really be clear in the truth we teach. Because a lot of times I have taught this topic to adults or even, but mostly to students and children, and how many of them don't know clearly that Jesus' righteousness has been placed upon them. That they weren't just saved from their sin, but they actually have Jesus' righteousness on them. So it's just a challenge, a reminder to us this morning that we need to be intentional with our young people and consistent in teaching them truths and doctrine and things that are important for them to grow in their faith. So I just wanted to put that as a side note this morning. It's a good reminder to us. So in the last part of this passage that we're going to read this morning, we're going to move into chapter 6. We've looked at the kind of the motive and we've looked at the content of the ministry of reconciliation. I just want to close by looking at the calling that we have as Christians to put forth that message, that ministry of reconciliation, just as Paul did. I think of the life of Adoniram Judson. Maybe some of you have heard of Adoniram Judson. He was um, one of the greatest missionaries in the history of the world, in my opinion. I read one of the greatest biographies of his called To the Golden Shore recently, and Adoniram was a, yeah, he was a, he was an interesting guy. He, he was a minute, he was a working at a normal job, he was saved by the Lord, and he really was led to go to the mission field. And he felt called with his wife to go to Burma, to the where we would call modern-day Burma, Myanmar. That's where, that's where he was serving. And he, he spent many years there serving the Lord. Um, he saw great ministry happen. It took him six years to, for his first convert. But after that, many people came to know the Lord. And I will tell you, when I was working in the church in Phoenix, we had a group of Burmese in our church, and they still call him their great father. I mean, hundreds, over 100 years later, they see him as their father because of all the ministry that he did. And I, I was always just so touched by it. The, he lost um, family members, including wives. He had several difficulties with health, but he, he, he stayed on his calling. He kept doing it, kept doing it. And one of the things I want us to be reminded about this morning is that passage that we read just a little bit ago, called us to be an ambassadors for Christ. Because we need to have the right motives, we need to have that content, but we are called. Every single one of us in this room as believers in Christ is called to be an ambassador. And so this is what this passage, this is what Paul's telling us here. This is his calling. So let's read about his calling. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says... In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. 
But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and from the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true. As unknown and yet well unknown, as dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widening your hearts also. So we see just briefly here in this passage that Paul is appealing to the Corinthian church that his calling to the ministry of reconciliation is like the calling of Isaiah. Because that's what he's quoting there. You see the indentation there in your passage in your Bible. You might see that. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 49. And Isaiah's prophetic calling here of perseverance and repentance is being shown here by Paul. That's what he's saying he's doing. He is following in Isaiah's footsteps that calling of perseverance, that calling of repentance, that ministry of reconciliation, right? That's what, he, that's what he's doing here. So we, we all have this calling, right? We are called, just like Paul, to receive God's grace and to share God's grace. We receive the ministry of reconciliation, we share the ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors in Christ. And so just as Isaiah did, Paul is saying that that's what I'm doing with my ministry, um, some of you know that I love to read. I think you all know that I love to read. And one of the things that I love to read is biographies. And um, what I love about biographies a lot of times is people give the fullness. Like if you read some of those big like Ron Chernow or David McCullough type biographies, they share like every bit of their life. So you get to see their good and the bad. And I like that. I want to see a person's life that they're, that understand that they're not perfect, right? We, we, I read the like 600 or whatever page biography. I don't remember how long it is of, of Ron Chenot by about Ulysses S. Grant. And he had a lot of flaws. He was a great leader, but he had a lot of flaws. And it just reminds me when I read those biographies that we are called as men and women of Jesus Christ. We are flawed people, right? We all have flaws. We have inconsistencies. We don't live for Christ always like we should, but this reminds us this morning in this passage that we are still called to the ministry of reconciliation. Despite our failures, despite our struggles, despite our sins, that we are forgiven and we need to continue to press forward with our calling. Paul is appealing to the church to understand that through difficulties and hardships like he talks about here, he lists all these things, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Paul went through it all. But he's saying, he's appealing to the church to understand through difficulties and hardships, he was still able to commend himself to God. He was still able to stay on the journey, the path towards the ministry of reconciliation. We see in Philippians 4.13 that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's not just saying you can do anything. He's saying in the times of hardship and struggle, God is there with me. Christ can work through me even though I'm flawed. Paul calls out those um, in rebellion to his ministry here in this passage as well. Because he, he lists, after he lists all the bad things, he also, starting in verse 6, lists all the good things um, that can be a part of that ministry of reconciliation, that can be a part of being that Christ follower of purity and knowledge and patience, that list there. But then in verse 11, he speaks very freely to the Corinthian church. 
He says in verse 11, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. He's in very strong language to tell them, you are doing your own thing. You're doing this in rebellion. You're not doing this um, truthfully. That you're not restricted by me. My actions, my words are not restricting you. You are restricting yourself with your own loves, your own affections, your own motives. So he is calling out their rebellion. Not in anger. He's being, he's being firm, but he's not doing it in anger. He's just saying, in return, I speak to you as my children. Widen your hearts also, right? That's, that's a nice way. He's saying it very nicely, very lovingly, that, look, you're living in rebellion, you're, doing, you're restricted by your own affections, but now it's time to do the right thing. Widen your hearts. Accept my ministry. Accept the ministry of reconciliation and be ambassadors for Christ yourself. And I have to admit, if I were Paul working with the Corinthian church, I'd probably be getting tired of dealing with these people all the time. But Paul loves them. He's their child, they're his children in the spiritual sense. He's, he's, obviously, Jesus is our ultimate father, and that's in the spiritual sense. But we can have leaders in our church, youth leaders and pastors, that can be like spiritual fathers and mothers to us in the ministry. And that's what Paul is for the Corinthian church. And he's saying to them, just widen your hearts. Accept what's happening here. Accept the ministry. So this morning, this is a grand appeal by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church to accept his ministry of reconciliation. And not just accept what Paul's doing, but it, take it and, and widen your hearts and accept it as something that they can go and do. That it's not just all about Paul, this is about what they can do. There's going to be hardships, it's going to be struggle, but we need to strive through that to bring glory to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, 2020 has been a weird and a rough year, and division has been ripe everywhere. But let us be reminded this morning that we have a mission, we have a message that we need to get across to the world around us. There's a lot of hurting people, there's a lot of people struggling for many different reasons, but we need to stand by each other, be united in the message of reconciliation, and be ambassadors for Christ, showing love to others by sharing with them this message. We don't hold this close to our chest. We are wide open as we share our hearts with others. Would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? Lord, I just thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to be in your house. Lord, I thank you for the message that you have given us from your word. And Lord, I just pray that you will help us to, to strive to have this message of reconciliation deep in our hearts. Lord, I, I pray that we will come with the right motives, that we will fear you, that we will love you, that we will have your mind, Lord Jesus. But Lord, I pray also that you will help us to have the right words and content as a part of, of being a Christian, having this message of reconciliation. And Lord, that we will follow the deep calling that you've given each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that you will help us to set, set aside any kind of fear, any kind of anxiety that, causes, that we, might cause us to not share our faith with others. Because, Lord, the people in this world need it so badly right now. Lord, there's so many people that are open to hearing your message of reconciliation. So, Lord, help us to be a part of the work of bringing peace. Not peace that's just short-term or a small thing, but actual, the actual full peace that's eternal for people, which is reconnecting in a relationship with you. Lord, I just thank you so much for the fact that Paul really desired for us to see clearly 
his message, his ministry, because, Lord, his desire was to glorify you in all the things that he did, and we can emulate that in our own lives. So, Lord, help us to, to go from here today understanding more clearly what the message of reconciliation is so that we can be a part of the ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors for you. Lord, be with us, Lord, and I just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here with my brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray all this in your great and gracious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.